0: Welcome to the Final Draft Podcast. My name's Andrew Popel. Today, I'm joined on the show by Tony Birch. The Final Draft Podcast explores books, writing, and literary culture. Every week, Final Draft broadcasts from the studios of 2SEI in Sydney, Australia. At Final Draft, we are dedicated to exploring Australian writing, from debut authors to household names. Each of these conversations looks into the issues that drive the author's storytelling to help you discover more from the books you love, because these are the stories that make us who we are. To ACR broadcast from the lands of the Gadigal people. I'm recording on the lands of the Darug and the Gunungurra people. I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of those lands and pay my respects to their ongoing connection to their lands, acknowledging these are unceded lands and that a treaty has never been made with Australia's First Nations. Today, Tony Birch is going to join me. He is the celebrated author of incredible short uh, fiction, poetry, and novels, including books like The White Girl. Tony is just a tremendous guest, and I've always loved speaking to him, and today is no exception. His new book is called Women and Children, and it is a fascinating look at, I guess, the history, but also a reflection on the contemporary world in which we live and the power balances that so often see the titular women and children suffering at the hands of their society. I cannot wait. This is this rocketed to the top of my favorite books for 2023 list, and I cannot wait to share this conversation. So join me as Tony and I discuss his new novel, Women and Children. Tony Birch is the author of novels, poetry, and short fiction. You've met him on the show before with his collection, Dark As Last Night, which won the Steel Rudd Award at the Queensland Literary Awards. And today, Tony is joining us with his new novel, It Is a Triumph. I fell in love with it. It's called Women and Children. Tony, welcome.
1: Thank you for having me back.
0: I, uh, I I couldn't not when when this book arrived, and I just want to I just want to s- set it up just a little bit for the listener, as we we meet Joe Joe Clooney. He lives with his mum and his sister Ruby. Now Joe's no stranger to violence, getting the strap more often than accolades at the Catholic school he attends, and Ruby's warned him that you don't ask questions about other people's bruises. But when one day Joe's Aunt Una arrives at the house bruised and shaken, Joe will come to understand how much violence lurks in all their lives and the strength that it takes to stand up to it. There is so much that I want to get to, Tony, but I I actually was hoping we could begin with storytelling because there's this beautiful scene early in the novel where Joe and his grandfather, Char, are talking about life. and, And Char tells Joe he believes that Joe will become a writer. Yes, a writer, Charlie repeated, there are stories about this life, the life of our family that will one day need to be told. Now, I also want to acknowledge, Tony, that um, in your author's note, you state this is is not your story. This is not the story of your family. But I was wondering if you could start with this idea that some stories need to be told. and, And as I read it, at least in this part of the book, that we are the lesser until we hear them and we confront them.
1: Yeah, and I suppose if there's something, and there is something autobiographical in that, I came from a family where oral storytelling was absolutely central. But the issue with this is, and particularly in what we're talking about in Women and Children, the issue of family violence or violence um, visiting this family home, is that there are certain stories that are either unknown or secret that require telling in a way that will will expose the story so when i'm thinking in, in both a positive and complex sense the role of the writer and I'm thinking about myself and looking at my family history or community history, it's that there is a role to tell stories in a complex way and reveal stories that otherwise would remain secret. So in the sense those stories are the ones that families either refuse to talk about or, or certainly don't talk about out loud. But having said that, I with all my work and this book included, I do like to also tell stories and tell them through characters of which the people or the types of characters I grew up amongst are also incredibly valuable. So although Women and Children looks at the issue of the um particular domestic violence um committed by one man and the complicity in that by other men and other people in the community. I also wrote a book where there are two lovely older male characters in, in Joe's life. So therefore my role as a writer is to say, okay, these were these were difficult times and there were some terrible there were some terrible men around in my life at the time, but they're also yeah, wonderfully flawed characters like Char and his um his friend Rangi, who runs the scrapyard. Mm.
0: I also sort of found implicit in the novel that this telling of the story, the telling of the story that that needs to be told, helps to shatter kind of the the dominant counter narrative. And it's not really you don't you don't force this in women and children, but I think we can understand that for. These people that are the victim survivors of violence, the people that are able to perpetrate it have their own story where they're upstanding members of the community or influential and and that helps them get away and and sometimes telling the story that needs to be told shatters the counter-narrative, which is a false narrative even if it's believed.
1: Yeah, and I think that that last word you just used is that I think it's really interesting because I don't think it is believed, but it can't be uttered. In other words, it cannot be uttered that this is completely contradictory, hypocritical. So the idea that these men are over upstanding, or if they're if they're Um, forceful figures they are in a positive way. Yeah, that old notion of working class men protecting their family. Now, that's the case in some instances, but I've always been interested in the the hypocrisy of male strength or Mm -hmm. the the terrible hypocrisies of patriarchy. So that in the novel, the story I really want to tell uh, uh, is to expose those secrets, to expose those lies. But of course to really to talk about the courage of women whose stories might otherwise not remain silent but remain quite internal. So, yeah, the stories that women tell each other about these issues are, are very common in my community or work are very common, but they weren't stories that were told um, outside the framework of, of women's experience you know, speaking to each other. So Joe and um, his sister Ruby, particularly Joe, is, is a witness to these hypocrisies and they puzzle him. Um, he doesn't understand what is happening to some extent, considering he has such a loving um, grandfather. And then my role as a writer is, in a way is to see myself as a, a version of, a, of you know an absent Joe, you know 50 years forward, looking back on that. So I, I as I said, when I and I, I, it, when I, it is not my family story, this family. But I suppose the influence of my experience is very strong, both in relationship to this issue, but also even much more stronger in relationship to the complexities of Catholicism. So I was, uh, you know, went to um, Sacred Heart School in Fitzroy. I was an altar boy. I was I was right into being a good Catholic kid and all the hypocrisies of the church were prevalent in my life every day and and that has never left me i've been surprised by the way over the years the extent to which religious you know iconography and philosophy and hypocrisy has leached into my work even when i don't want it to mm.
0: so many directions i want to i want to follow up on what you just said there uh tony because you know look there's there's nothing like a good Catholic school tale to uh, to make readers of a certain age flinch. Um, I went through the system a lot later than Joe, so I was I was only ever threatened with the stick. I was never hit, um, but I was wondering. And look, I actually I feel the need also to acknowledge that I, I some of my work takes me into Catholic schools now, and I meet some incredible teachers. But we we understand that the the history sort of stands for itself. I was wondering, though, in in Joe's world of of this covert violence, these stories that need to be told, what this institutionalised violence meant for the status quo and how corporal punishment was viewed at large.
1: Yeah, and I I suppose I should give my own caveat here. My my grandkids go to Catholic school now and it's wonderful. You know, my granddaughter is eight and when I told her I used to get this strap at school, she she could not comprehend Mm -hmm. it, that a teacher would would hit you and I think that's great. So and they love they love their school. Mm. So yeah, you know, it's not a it's not a, a damning statement necessarily of the Catholic system. But when I was at school in the 60s, um, it's interesting you say you were threatened. We weren't threatened. We just got yeah. it. So there was no threat that came with it. I would say uh, quite honestly that I can't remember a day going by where someone wasn't strapped and you were strapped um, for quite menial things. I, I remember being strapped for having dirty shoes one day and sometimes being strapped for you know, for greater I uh, Transgression, sorry. But I think that for me, looking back, and even as a child, is, again, that this sanctioned violence administered by the Church, the Catholic Church, through nuns, um, through priests, and through Christian brothers... The thing I understood as a child is that my my family didn't in any way believe that there was anything wrong with that. And I think that what my mother did, although she never went to church herself, it's a bit like Marion isn't a strictly religious person, the mother, the mother of the two children in this book, is that... I always felt that my mother handed this over to the school for discipline. So if I went home and said I'd been strapped, there was no sense that my mother thought, oh, that's not right. And she wouldn't say, oh, they shouldn't do that to you. She would ask me what I'd done and I would tell her and she, she sort of nod her head as if to say, okay, that seems like an adequate punishment. So, so then you, you sort of, um, juxtapose that with, with violence of men. And, and what you're seeing is a, a sort of a, a, boy who's confronting violence both in his daily life at school. And in this case, certainly not in his home, but he, he, as you say, he's witness to the bruise of other children that he sees when he takes his clothes off at the swimming pool. And he, of course, then is exposed to the terrible violence experienced by his aunt, um, Una. So it's about him being both, very saddened by it, but also incredibly puzzled because he, you know, he's a mischievous boy, but he's not a violent or aggressive boy in any way. He's very gentle and he 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 cannot really comprehend it. And in that way, that also reflects my childhood of of never really understanding why why this happened. Um it was that it almost felt that you, it seems odd to say that you were serving someone else's needs. So it wasn't about you needing to be um, punished to understand how to behave. It was almost like you were serving their need. And I will say that the both with the nuns and, and the Christian brothers, they seem to take enormous pleasure out of strapping you. Like it was something that, that meant something of value to them. It's a bit crazy when you think of that.
0: It makes me think of um... – you know, phrases like, see what you've made me do or um, I'm doing this yeah, for your own good.
1: True. Well, I think that's true. And I think that's indicative of when um, Una at one point returns to her violent partner and she explains to her sister Maryam why she's doing so, um, there's a twofold reason for that is that she... She, she is duped into believing, as many women seem to be at the time, that her partner will rectify his bad behaviour, but also that there's some fault of hers. And part of that fault is to to expose the rest of her family to the violence of her partner, which she wants to stop. And to use the religious um, reference here, when she goes back, there is something of the sacrificial lamb in this that mm. she doesn't want her family to be witness to any other violence that she might be exposed to. In an odd way, she wants to protect them from what's going what is inevitably going to happen. Yeah.
0: Um a challenge a challenge I found Tony as I was preparing for this interview was that while the these topics that you are discussing in the book they they still cut to the heart of our society even though the story is set some sort of 50 60 years ago I found I was I was focusing in on the big actions at the expense of the quiet you know I was asking questions about the violence I was asking questions about the men um and and the, the characters characters like Marion joe's mum she's this quiet force through the novel, but it struck me that you you draw her character with this enormous restraint or perhaps it's her own restraint that you are depicting. How was it writing Marion I guess in a world that expected her to be small, expected her to be restrained
1: um, it, it, I enjoyed writing the character and and I suppose and I didn't want to. Well, I didn't want to signpost it. There is, I think restrained is a good word, but I think restrained also needs to come with a sense of resignation. So that when I think about women in this situation when I was a child and I would think about my my mother and this intergenerational problem of male violence, it's not as if they're um, passive, and I, I don't see her as a passive character. There are several times in the novel where she makes it quite clear, her feelings in conversations with her father, certainly with Una, and then with her ex-husband toward the end of the novel. But I think that like many women I I know that, that – because they felt so restricted in, in what they could do to defend themselves. And as we find out in the novel, it's hard to get any, well, justice, um, certainly not from with the assistance of of men in their life, that a lot of what happens around these women is with a sense of, of a resignation that this is the way they live. And, you know, it might seem um, odd to say it from today's perspective, but I know that in the case of you know, women in my family, they would strategically, for instance, they would take a hit for their kids. So when they thought that their kids were under threat of violence from a male figure, and it could be that, yeah you know, the kid's father, I know of women who would deliberately provoke the the aggressor to, to draw him away from the child to to them. And, you know, they it terribly, you know, I, I remember thinking that these women almost become human shields. There's a need to protect their children. And, you know, for people who haven't gone through this experience in this culture, that may much in like a, a sort of a gross or sort of bizarre thing to say. But within the, the life opportunities they had, they, they they are operating as best they can. Mm-hmm. Now in the novel, of course, is that you yeah, know, when it's revealed that there is no one is going to help um Una and no one's going to help Marion protect her children. Well the, the consequences of that become, you yeah, know, quite obvious, I think.
0: Mm. It's a it, it is tremendous the way you build up to that too um we're not going to say anything about that at the moment there is so much there for the reader to discover themselves but i was really also very interested we've talked a little bit about una um the violence of their world is it's really hits home for pardon the expression sorry for joe when when his aunt una arrives at their door one night um she is trying to hide her injuries but can't The complexity of Una's situation, I thought, was really underscored by, it's noted several times by several characters, the sharp difference between her defiance and her her sort of, like, outwardness when she was young and her current situation. Given the way that we meet Una, did you you have challenges? How did you navigate building up her character so that she wasn't just a victim-survivor?
1: Yeah, so I think the first point is to say that um, in a way um, she was a, a very sassy and very energetic teenager, so you get a sense that the sisters that Marion is the quieter one, um, Una as a teenager is, is more defiant, more outgoing, more independent, and by the time we meet her in the novel, though, even though she outwardly on occasion tries to convey, well, maybe confidence, but certainly assertiveness, she really has been broken by her partner and yeah the issue of the term victim is interesting because it's both yeah she is the victim of domestic violence as a as a literal um understanding but being a victim in the sense of having no agency is what you you don't want to end up um conveying or i certainly don't want to end up conveying um i suppose again i wanted i wanted to come to a realization that um that for some women the first time that they experience um violence at the hands of a man it comes as a shock um they weren't expecting it on some in some instances and it really disables them um emotionally Um, And she really, by this time that she comes to her sister's house, um, has really been almost broken by her partner. But I think that what we see is when she, it is complex when she decides to return to him. That is a, it seems odd to say it, but that is a moment of courage because it's the only way that she feels she can protect her, her nephew and niece and her sister from all from having that violence visit their house. So the reason she goes back to her partner in part um, is that she doesn't want her sister and their family to to be subject to even witnessing that sort of violence. So so that, that was important. Um, it, it's about... It's about it is about the reality of of what violence can do to any person. And I think that, you know, what we've got to get away from is, is either that, you know, certainly not that you can shrug it off, but also that it doesn't completely destroy you. And these women do pick themselves up. They have to. And so I, I try to show through moments, maybe more through Marion and her sort of mild interrogation of her father, her confronting the priest um, after Mass, of her confronting her ex, that in the end she knows that... Um, if anything is going to be done that will save her sister, it will only be um, her and her sister who would be able to to rescue themselves. They, they can't rely on men at all. And and it was one of the issues that I only realised after, there are some aspects of a novel that you, you're you not quite averse in yourself, or versed in, sorry. Um, I love the two male characters, um, Ranji and Charlie. I really love writing them. I didn't realise until afterwards that their gentleness or their lack of capacity for violence in the end makes them, I don't say this as a criticism, it makes them inept to deal with violence mm. because the only way to deal with violence in, in this instance is in a summary way, Yeah, you know, they're not going to get any assistance from the police, they're not going to get any community assistance. And because they're not men who can retaliate um, they're not men who can step up and, you know, meet force with force. That makes them inadequate to deal with violence. And it's, it's, there's both a sadness in that, but there's something that in that, that I, that to me, actually, that really enhances the value of the two men, that they, they cannot be violent. And because they cannot be violent, what they can do to help this young woman is very limited.
0: Mm. It's, Trem- it's, it is a tremendous relationship. This this parallel story um, in the in well, the parallel narrative within the, the story of I, I just I saw it. this beautiful. It's complex. The way Charlie and, and Ranji Khan have built this friendship, the way it is depicted in the in the very like in the very short time frame of women and children. You've talked a little bit, I mean, it's a wicked problem you described there, because of course, what we are talking about is is the difficulty, the problems, um, the damage that violence does. And of course, Charlie and, and and Ranji, they have to confront the idea that perhaps only violence can meet violence, but that they, again, they have no capacity for that. I I want to get more to that later, but I was actually hoping you could tell me a little bit more about like what what values and and what did you bring into crafting this wonderful, positive male relationship?
1: Well, partly it was based on, well, partly it's based on their various religions. Mm -hmm. So Charlie is also Catholic, but very lapsed. Ranji is nominally a Muslim, but yeah, there's a lovely moment toward the end of the novel when he says today is not a day to pray. Mm -hmm. Um, they're struggling with spirituality. So that helped me think about the novel. So there's a scene where Charlie goes into a, a, a church in the city and speaks to a young priest and has a conversation where he he feels he hasn't given up on God, but he's given up on the church. So it is about these men struggling with a sense of their own spirituality in the novel, which, even though it's not the main narrative, was really important to me. There's also the... Um, what you might say is the role model. So, again, not my experience, but I did model these two old men on two men in my extended family. So one of those men, um, my great-great-uncle was Australian band and my boxing champion in the First World War. Um, um, his name was Les Ranji Moody. Um, and another man was my great grandfather by marriage, um, Buta Khan, who married my great grandmother, um, and they lived in Fitzroy um, when I was a kid. So it's about knowing men who were not like others in the, in, in your life, um, and knowing that gentleness. So that was that was really important. But I suppose in in the sense of the novel, I wanted Joe, in particular, to have to have the opportunity to. Um, Experienced role models, mentors in his life. Although, yeah, they don't do it overtly. By experience of, of being, firstly, you know, he's very close relationship with Charlie, his granddad, and seeing his granddad with with, with um Ranji. There's a very brief, and sometimes as a novelist, you do things that readers might miss, and it's not the reader's fault. But you don't dwell on it a lot. When um Charlie goes to the scrapyard and sees Ranji, and they hug. I mean. Mm-hmm. The boy is even puzzled by that. He's never seen men hug before. Yeah, men, Real men don't hug. You know, I'm being a bit facetious. But it's really about him being able to learn through experience that there are men of value in his life because what I wouldn't want for Joe as a character is to be um, only known men mm. um, who were negative, only known men who, who were violent. And it does reflect it does reflect on my own life that, you know, I I grew up amongst men like the perpetrator of violence in this, in this book, but I have very close male friendships. Um, And I suppose I'm choosy about who those men are. I said in the talk I gave last week, I have a, a Sydney swans, no dickheads policy. So I like to have male friendships, but, yeah they're, they're quite special to me and yeah i've got my my grandson who i care for each week and this, yeah i wouldn't want him exposed to men of of, of aggression so it was to I, I do i'm a bit you know emotional to i would think if my grand i have three young grandsons now and yeah when they're a little older if they were to pick up a book like this i would hope that they would really love those two older men and that they would see that these men are, 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 are good men. So I wanted to write a book where there were both good men and and, and a bad man at the, at the heart of the book.
0: Yeah. I'm going to paraphrase here for a couple of reasons, reasons of, of the story and the not revealing the narrative, but um, for me it was moments where a solution may present itself, but I guess the solution is nominally strength is nominally violence and they're able to turn to each other. And, and you can hear effectively, I can see you think you need strength right now, but you don't let me be your strength. Like that ability to say, you don't have to take all this on. You, you can ask for help. You can. And the, the softness in saying, you know, something along the lines of let me be your strength and let's, let's not think that we have to be overt. Let's just, you know, take a beat. Um, Yeah, just just really lovely and really, really sort of positive—a positive way of of saying this is how we can be us. This is how we can be men.
1: Yeah, and I think that um, I mean, just at a general level, if if a good man, if his only option in life is to become even defensively violent, like an aggressor, there's something destructive in that. And it's, yeah, and I understand how, why the this might happen. I'm not, I'm not even making a judgment. I'm thinking that for Charlie and Randy, particularly for Charlie, if he were to respond to violence, with premeditated violence of his own, it would mean that the violence of the perpetrator has damaged him, has poisoned him. And I, I didn't want that to happen. Um, yeah, and I, I did I did think a lot about this. Um occasionally I've written scenes where I've gone one way and then changed my mind. In this novel I did write a scene that went in a different direction. And though although it was written well enough, I just felt really uncomfortable about it afterwards. And I literally wrote two yeah, alternate scenes and shared them with my publisher, Aviva Tuffield, and I, I had a strong belief in what I eventually um, published in the book. And she, she also was, um, yeah, she was of the same view as I was that we wanted Charlie. I would rather him remain gentle and, in some ways, inept, than be become something that 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 would really. Um, Damage him, and it would damage um, his grandson as well. This is the other issue. It would it would damage a young boy as well.
0: Mm. I think maybe we pick that up in um, after after the interview proper. No spoilers here, of course. But um, what we've just been discussing here, of course, it, it parallels and, and contrasts a conversation that Marion and Charlie have. They're discussing how they can help Una, and and Charlie he sort of has to confront his history, and he says, "Men were not much good." Um, this sort of statement, this is a sort of statement that can be extremely polarizing for people, often for men who aren't much good. Um, I've always taken it, though, as an acknowledgement. It's, it's a chance. It's a challenge, though, to be better. How did you want to confront or did you, did you see it all like even having Charlie make a statement like that as confronting something very, very real, but also very, I guess, some may say controversial in our society?
1: Yeah, I'm, I mean, I, I and I understand your point, to, particularly in reception. I didn't think it was controversial. I, and know, I, <laughs> I, I always say I, I I tend to write for readers that I trust. Mm. Um, so let's say if someone read that line and is yeah, being deeply offended by it, I um, yeah, that's a terrible indictment of men. I would actually say, you know, and you've got to be careful because people are entitled to critique your books as they mm. wish, you know, but I would say just in relationship to that point that it would be a fairly um, shallow reading because when you read the book, the book obviously shows that, you know, even though, even though Charlie says that, he's actually a good man himself. Mm. Ranji is a good man. So, in other words, the novel should show a reader – that men can be very damaging and some men are no good. Um, or they behave in a way that would allow you to to justify a statement that men are no good. But then you see that there are men like Charlie and Randy who are very good. And I would hope that readers would recognise that what, what Charlie is really doing is, is articulating a fault in men. He's not really making a damning, generalised statement of men. And mm. he we've got to remember... He's doing it out of despair because of what's happened to one of his daughters. Mm. So both the despair and sadness and the hopelessness does encourage him to um, say that. And we've got to also remember in the same conversation, although it's quite limited, Marion does is able to mention, you know, several good men, although she has only on one hand, but just the way that she talks about those men. And there's that little scene there where she talks about a man who whose wife had left him and he he froze all her her dresses in the into the backyard. So just little moments I think readers who understand what I'm trying to do would say, well actually it's saying that there are good men around, but yeah, there are men who need to be a lot better. And yeah, we we can't we can't um, avoid the fact that we live in a society where women face violence from men on a daily basis. That you know the killing of women, the uh, you know the terrible violence towards women. It, it's endemic in Australian society, and um, we can't shy away from that. And I, as a man. You know, I've heard women say all men, none of these are any good. And I, I, I can't be defensive about that. I've My only reaction is, you're right. And I've got to do something to be better.
0: I am. Um, it's a tremendous scene. And, and of course, it's tremendous when, when Marion does make that declaration. I know you didn't write it this way, Tony, but it, it very much sort of read as she can count them on one hand with enough fingers left to give to the rest of the bad ones. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it also—it always strikes me just this this idea—the the, the challenge, the question, the reflection—we're not much good—is—is is the difference. If we if we can pause, if we can stop, if we can actually take the time to say, "Am I?" That might be the the difference.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and to think about being responsible, mm-hmm. um, not to be defensive. I mean, it's about yeah. You know, it sounds odd because. You can say, well, "Don't take it personally," but what you can and should take personally is the responsibility to be better. So, don't be offended. Be um, proactive in regard to to that. Yeah, and for me, um, yeah, I've yeah, I've got four adult daughters. I must be a responsible person in my family because I know that, for better or worse the way you behave does influence your children. And um, I have a a lovely son and four daughters and I want them to see me as a responsible member of the family, not as a, you know, a patriarchal head of the family as part of this family so that um, my daughters respect me as someone who I think understands them and values their independence. And, you know, I'm very supportive of them, but I would in no way try to dominate them. And, uh, I, I think that's important to 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 live as you would hope others to to live also. Mm.
0: can i can I ask how they have reflected if they have reflected on women and children?
1: Well, I, I mean, I don't know if you, you probably don't know this, but when I launch my novels, i, I don't get minor celebrities or other novelists. My children always launch my novels. Oh, so I did that. that's awesome. I, I always thought Aaron will be launch, launching this novel. Um, she's reading it at the moment, I don't know, I haven't had any feedback, Um, they read all my books all my kids and and do give me feedback, most of it quite generous, I did discuss this book, Um, I've discussed it with the family as I've been writing, my my feeling is that I think that they will will enjoy it, but I, I think for them because we come from a background of terrible family violence. So not in our generation, but the generation before. And in our family, we're much more fortunate than others. We've never been secretive about this history in our family. And I take that because of my mother's courage to be outspoken. Um it won't surprise them. I don't think my you know my philosophy as a writer that that I utilize through the characters and through the story. So I hope they're surprised about the novel in the sense as they would be any good storytelling, that the plot and the outcome is something that surprises them. So, I, yeah, to be honest, I hope they enjoy it as readers. Mm.
0: I can't not mention Ruby. We have touched on her. This is Joe's sister. Um, and I, I might sort of wrap up uh, this part of our conversation by just noting, I read this as a pivotal scene thematically where Ruby has been away. She won a sort of a holiday where she, she got to experience life outside of her home. But when she returns, she stands up for herself and for Joe, uh, scaring off a group of older boys who would, I guess were bullying them. Did you want Ruby and Joe, I guess, to be almost parallel visions, a different type of future to the world that they were living in?
1: Yeah, I mean, look. In part, with Ruby, when she confronts that boy, and then she talks about afterwards of, you know, a couple of girls in this country farm. She went to teaching her to fight. I um, mean, there's a reality to it. I have two sisters who I grew up around, and know, yeah, they were very physical in defending themselves. So that my older sister, who's eighteen months older than me, and so there's about the same age difference as there is between Ruby and Joe she would not only defend herself physically in the street, she would defend me also. So part of that is just reminiscent of the strength of my sister who wouldn't allow boys to to bully her or, or to bully me. And I suppose it depends how people take it, because I think there there might be some sense of, you know, we say, well, as we've been talking about today, you know, is it, is it problematic that the only way you can deal with violence is to react with violence? Um, in some cases, yes. I mean when I grew up and when these characters are growing up and they're on the street and someone wants to bully them their only option if well one of their options is to f- defend themselves and she makes that de- she makes that decision um that she will not let this boy stand over her and for me that, that I'm not making a sort of in my sense, it's neither a a life lesson, this is the way you should be. So I'm not saying, say to my children when they're teenagers, well, you should do this. It's not a lesson in what you should do to survive, nor is it a criticism. It's a reflection of reality when both children, and in this case I think when the women in this novel are confronted with violence and the community or you know, representatives of the state, and here I'm talking about police, when they won't intervene to to help people who suffer violence, the response left to you is usually to retaliate or to yeah you know, run away, I suppose. but in the case of Ruby, she just won't tolerate this anymore. So it is a reflection of um, of my past but also again, thinking of my 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 daughters in particular and my well and my son, it's that you know they they know. And I know that in their friendship groups, my younger daughters in particular who are in their um, early 20s, if one of their female friends is has a violent partner or is threatened with violence, they will they will state very directly that it's not tolerated. So they don't go and punch some guy in the face, but they will not remain quiet, which I think is a real shift and I think a vital shift that all of us, men and women, when we know that a woman is threatened or children are threatened with violence, it's vital that we stand up mm-hmm. and confront the person. And I think there's more, more chance of ending domestic violence when that, when a bully knows that their behavior is simply not tolerated. So it, yeah, there is some forward thinking in that, but it was more just to, to think about, it was to think about girls that I knew and to think about girls like my older sister, who made very clear decisions to protect themselves when boys were attempting to bully them. Yeah.
0: I feel like we've we've come full circle to the stories that need to be told, the the things that need to be said out loud. Um Tony, I thank you so much for the time you've taken today. Women and Children is an absolute triumph. I've I've loved this book so much. It's um it's shot to the top of my favourite books of 2023. I'm, I'm, I'm not <laughs> not uh, shy about saying that, and I appreciate your time today.
1: Don't any more then, just in case. Oh,
0: <laughs> that's it. Last final draft episode, no more books. I, I am speaking with Tony Birch. His new novel is Women and Children. It's out now, or um, it will be at the time of our speaking. Tony, thank you so much for your time today. Oh,
1: thank you so much. It's been wonderful.
0: What a tremendous chat. What a tremendous guest. Thank you again, Tony. Thank you so much for joining me. That is it for the show today. Final Draft is recorded on the lands of the Darug and Gunungurra people. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. Do stay in touch. You will find Final Draft on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, to various degrees of uh, like my ability to keep up with posting. But if you would like to get in touch, if you would like to reach out and talk about what you're reading, what you're enjoying about the show, what you've discovered all of those mediums, or why not leave us a review on the podcast app that you are listening to right now. It's a way to reach out. It's also a way to help other people discover the show. My name's Andrew Popel. I'm going to be back with more great conversations from incredible Australian authors here on Final Draft. But till then, happy reading. Bye for now.